Moms and dads, you got your Bible with you today? Need to be bringing your Bible, all right? You got it electronically, that works. You got a whole bunch of Bibles on that right there. So maybe your iPad, maybe your phone, maybe uh, an old-fashioned black-bound leather Bible. Who knows? Galatians chapter 6. I think, I hope you're going to learn something today. I learned something in studying for this. This is the second message in this series that I thought was going to go one direction and took a U-turn and went in an entirely different direction. So this is going to be something that some of you have never heard. So before you run me out of town on a rail, I want you to check it out and see if it's what the Word of God really has to say, bearing one another's burdens. So far in this series, we've talked about accepting one another. That ought to be absolutely unconditional acceptance of each other. We don't have to accept each other's sin but we should accept one another. Uh, Honoring one another, putting others first, being devoted one to another, loving others, putting others in in front of ourselves, serving one another, looking for ways to serve, encouraging one another, uh, being a, a, a zapper and not a sapper. Remember a zapper? You know, you get that little charge, that little... Got you? Not a sap that drains you slowly and, and you know, leaves you laying in a, in a hump, in a lump on the floor. Uh, these have been easy, good, and even fun lessons, but the one today, not so fun. Not something I necessarily like to preach on, although I'm supposed to declare the whole counsel of God. I thought, again, it would be a message of blessing and being a blessing to each other, helping each other carry heavy burdens, but bearing one another's burdens means something other than what we initially think. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, now listen, if another believer, talking about a Christian, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and helpfully and, and humbly rather help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, which mean literally bear or help to support each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself, you're not that important. That's the NLT version. I like that. You're, if you think you're really you know, too good for that, you're not that good. In the King, King James Version, it says, bear one another's ver- uh, burdens, if you have that particular version, that particular translation. But the NLT says, gently and humbly help a person who's been overcome by sin back on to the right path. That's what this means in this context of Galatians chapter 6. You who are spiritual are to help those who be restored who have fallen because of some sin. We have a responsibility to other church members to help them up to carry their burden, to help them be set free from something that's otherwise going to entrap them. But we have to be tactful, we have to be humble, we need to be sensitive, and we need to be careful. So let's unfold this a little bit more. First point is this, restoration is a task for the spiritual. He starts off this passage, you that are spiritual, you referring to those who are moved by the Holy Spirit. First of all, before you can be moved by the Holy Spirit, you have to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Before you're indwelt, you have to be wooed by the Holy Spirit. You see, none of us are such good people that we come to Christ of our own accord. Again, going back to that self-made man or self-made woman, no such thing. Left to ourselves, we would wander around aimlessly from one sin to another. 
But the Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit shows us who Christ is. He gives us grace to understand. He gives us faith even. Faith is something that comes from God through the Holy Spirit in this age. And so with the Holy Spirit then, he, he causes us to be born again, born of uh, not just water, but born also of the Spirit. And, and then furthermore, that's not, the, that's not the end, that's the beginning because we're to walk in the Spirit. You that are spiritual, those who are moved by the Holy Spirit. There are two classifications in general of all people. There are saved and unsaved. Uh, we have, you know, 4011 denominations. We have all kinds of religions. But people are either saved or they're unsaved. That's the two classifications. The cross is the dividing point between the two. Whenever we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we come into the body of those who are saved, those who are born again. Within the classifications of Christians, there are two. Not five, not ten, not twenty. There are two. Spiritual and carnal. Spiritual is led by the Spirit of God. Carnal is moved by our own desires, our own mind, our own will our own way of doing things. So the spiritual, walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, since we are living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. How well do we do that? In every part of our lives. Someone's cut you off on the freeway. Do you let the Holy Spirit lead? Or do you get carnal for a minute or two? Well, preacher, I'd like to be carnal just for the next five minutes. You know what? If you, that, then we are carnal when we're doing that. When we're reacting in a way where the flesh says to react, that's carnal. Carnality, it, it's meat, it's, it's the flesh. The flesh controlling what we do, what we say, how we act, how we react. But the Holy Spirit of God wants to superintend every bit of that. He wants access to every part of you. I used the illustration before, but it's, it's kind of like you say, you know what, preacher, I'm, I'm pretty good at letting the Holy Spirit, you know, allowing and asking him to control me. But there's this one part of my life I don't want him in. It's like if you bought a house and there's a room that's locked and they come back and they say, you know, I, I, I got that room that's locked. You say, yeah, I need the key to that. I say, no, no, I, I sell you the rest of the house, but that one, that's my room. I, I, you can't go in there. Wait a minute. I bought the house. Yeah, but I want to hang on to that room right there and what's in that room. So you, you got to run the rest of the house. You can have the attic. You can have the basement. I want that room. That's what we're saying to God when we don't surrender our entire will to him. Spiritual and carnal. Walking in the spirit. And if we're walking in the spirit, we're manifesting the fruit of the spirit. In Galatians 5, and 23, which the Holy Spirit says produces this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, Patience or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say fruits. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the evidence the Holy Spirit is leading in our lives. Not hate, uh, not uh, anxiety, not impatience, not meanness, not being bad, not being unfaithful, not being harsh, not being out of control. Being controlled by the Spirit. That's spiritual. Carnal is walking in the flesh. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, again, talking to Christians, okay? Not talking to the lost people. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to 
as though you belong to this world, or as though you were infants in the Christian life. We talked about this yesterday, and being, being a, a child, being like a little baby, an infant in the Lord. He said, I wanted to teach you. I wanted to instruct you. I wanted, to, uh, I wanted you to progress. I wanted you to mature, but you weren't ready. You still had to be fed with milk and not with solid food because you weren't really ready for anything stronger. You go to the nursery, you have a little baby there, you give them solid food, you've you got problems. I, our first child, it's a wonder she survived. <clears throat> back in the day, back before there were manuals on how to be parents and how to take care, and, you know, James Dobson wasn't anywhere around, Focus on the Family wasn't founded yet, there, were, there, was, there were no books on it, you just like, hey, we got a baby now, what do we do? And, and pretty much so, so she's in, I, I told somebody yesterday, our big thing, we had nothing. We had, we were, we weren't even, we didn't have enough to be broke. I mean, we, we had nothing. So once a month we would go, this was our big date night, we'd go to the Kmart and we'd walk up and down every aisle in the Kmart and see things that one day we were going to maybe get, be able to get, you know, and maybe we'd buy something. But so, so Pat was trying on something in a dressing room and I'm eating popcorn and Shannon's like, uh, 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 so I gave her some popcorn. She started choking and wheezing, and I said, be quiet, shh, be quiet. Your mama's going to be ticked, and she was really ticked. So, so it's not a good idea to feed solid food. I learned that lesson on the other two. Uh, and, and so he says, that's what I want to give you solid food. You couldn't chew it. You couldn't chew it enough to swallow it safely and to have it digest properly. So I had to give you milk. I had to keep you on mother's milk because, because you weren't mature enough. He says you're jealous of one another. You quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? You know what? I, I talk a lot about our relationship because I'm, I am so in love with this lady. And, and we do not. Someone says, well, what do you guys, how do you guys fight? We don't fight. We, I just do whatever she wants to do, and it's. <laughs> Guys, I heard a good trick yesterday. He said, said uh, he said when he asked his, he said, how do you know how to take you, where to take your wife to eat when you know? How do you know what she's thinking? He said, well, I ask her. Uh, guess where we're going today, and what first restaurant she says, that's where I take her, and so you know that works works really well. We do occasionally have disagreements. We actually have disagreements. We never argue. We never fuss. We never fight. We don't. We, we discuss things. We have to. We're two different people. We are so different. It's like, are you kidding me? Nobody would have put us together in high school. Nobody would have. But God put us together in college. And you know what? I thank God. And, and because we both had a desire to serve God, we met in Bible college, we dated while we were in Bible college, we got married while we were in Bible college, and we had the same goal. The Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit controls that lady that controls me when we are being spiritual. So my question to you, how's the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in your life? Or are some of these other things going on, the quarreling, the jealousy, the, uh, the sinful nature controlling the, the, the works of the flesh as opposed to the works of the Spirit? Second point is this. It's a task for more than just the pastor. This, this bearing one another's burdens is, is more than I can do, even for a church this size. It's more than I can do. It's, and I thank God 
not only, you know what? The whole time we've been here, I have been impressed with the fact that people, the lay people of this church have stepped up and taken leadership roles and done the job of men's ministry and women's ministry and, uh, and children's ministry and adult ministry and sound equipment and praise team. The whole time, I was super impressed with that when we first came as, as interim four, four and a half years ago, whatever it was. And so I thank God. Not only do you step up and do things like Halloween night and have a ball doing it, but you, you watch out for each other. And some of you, you see someone that's, that's going through a rough time. You can tell. And you go to them and you pray with them and you talk with them and you encourage them. And I, I thank God for that because this is more than just what one person can do. Everybody has to be involved. And that's what Paul's talking about here. This you is a plural pronoun. In Matthew 18, 15, if another believer sins against you, here's how to take care of it. Go tell everybody else in the world about it, right? Go gossip about it. Go spread the news of what they're No. It, go privately to that person and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. If you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take the case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, listen to this. This is for believers. Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt IRS agent. That's what it says. Publican. Don't you just love IRS? Is anybody here at work for the IRS? I had that once at my other church, and it was not a fun thing when I said that. I had a little appointment after church. But anyhow... So, so he, he gives an outline. He says, correction is to be one-on-one. -on -one. If, if I offend you, come to me. Say, you know, pastor, you said something. You did something. Pat says sometimes my filters are not, they don't fully function, and I kind of say things. And so, you know, if I offend you some way, let me know. I'll try to make it right if I possibly can. We're not talking to others about it. If that person does respond, you take others who are also involved, try to fix the situation. If that doesn't, then you take it before the church at the end. Third thing is this. We've got to do this bearing one another's burdens with genuine humility. Genuine humility. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 1, in the spirit of meekness... In another translation, it says, restore him gently. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see, all of us are nothing apart from the grace of God. Away with arrogance, away with pride, away with a sense of superiority. Um, we're flesh and blood. We have sinful natures that are still operative. None of us are, are, are perfect. None of us are without flaw. And so when we go to someone else who has fallen some way, we need to go with, with gentleness and with sincere humility just as Christ came to us. If Jesus Christ, who had every reason to be proud because of his spiritual um, heritage, the Son of Almighty God, and because of his way of living, if anyone had a reason to be proud, it would be him, but he wasn't. The Bible says he was meek. Meekness is humility with strength. He could have called 10,000 angels. Guess what? He wouldn't have had to call 10,000 angels. 
He could have got down off the cross if he had wanted to. Do you realize that? He is all-powerful. It's the same Jesus that three days after he was crucified took up his life again. Nobody who's ever died has taken up their life again but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But he was meek. Someone said that, that word, that Greek word is, is, is picturing strength under control, like, like a little child sitting on a magnificent horse that's rippling with muscles, and that horse could just buck the child or take off running away, but it doesn't. It stays under control. Christ, all-powerful, and he was humble, and that's what we're to be. So in doing that and in going to people who have slipped, who have fallen, who have made bad choices, we bear their burdens as Christ bore ours, and we also can help deliver them from the trap that would ensnare them, that would take them down. Don't you know Satan wants to ruin your life? Satan wants to ruin your future, kids. Satan wants to destroy your homes. Satan wants to take your health. I read today where he was permitted to take Job's health for a while. After Job had lost everything else, everything else, God permitted him, Satan, to take Job's health. And in all that, God says, yet and not, not one time has he failed me. Not one time has he sinned any of that. If those Christians... Do not repent when we go to them and try to help them. Then there's a second step here, which in 1 Corinthians 5 says, I, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer and yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or who cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but the Scripture says you must remove the evil person from among you. Now, look, families, families, situation is different. It's different. You, you, you can't not eat with that person. You can't not associate with that person. But as Christians, when someone has fallen into sin, we have a responsibility. If they will not respond and will not come back to the Lord, to, to not fellowship with them in their sin. The Corinthians were told, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to have is to experience that leads us away from sin and results in salvation. God, there's a purpose for sorrow. Godly sorrow is to lead to repentance. So we shouldn't be satisfied in our sin. We shouldn't be encouraged in our sin. We should, we should have Christians who come alongside of us and bear our burden and say, you, you, you tripped up here. You've made a, a bad decision. I'm praying for you. I care about you. I love you. Please don't do this. And, and then the godly sorrow from not being able to fellowship with him is supposed to bring us back to him. The fourth thing is this. It has to be done cautiously. The first verse that I read in Galatians 6 says, Brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. If you're not spiritual, you might find yourself sucked in to the same quicksand. Drug addiction. Alcohol addiction. Men 
counseling and helping women and getting too close and getting too involved in that. That's what, why, do I have, why do I have guys up here and ladies up here, guys to talk and pray with, with guys? And You know, I, you say, preacher, are you, I just don't want to give any occasion for stumbling. I don't want to have any problem. I don't want to even go there or think about going there. So let him that thinks he is secure, thinks he stands, take heed lest he, what? It's got to be done humbly. It's got to be done prayerfully. James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And the context of that is in verse 14, 15, and 16, where it says, Are you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed sins, they will be forgiven. Done prayerfully, done gently, done humbly, done very carefully so that we don't fall into the same problem. Practical steps for restoring an erring believer. Evaluate your own life. Now, we're about to, we're going to have communion here in just a few minutes. Don't come to the communion table with known sin unconfessed in your life. This is an opportunity. It's a privilege. It's an amazing. I'm overwhelmed by how incredible this, this idea that God thought up for us to judge sin in our own lives so that he doesn't have to judge it. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. Literally. As I come to this table, I, I, I evaluate. The Bible says examine your own heart, examine your own life, examine how you are in your work, in your, in your play, in your family, in, 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 your, in your relationship to other Christians. Examine. And if there's something, someplace we're found wanting, confess it to him. Ask his forgiveness. Ask for restoration. And then go ahead and commune because it was his body that was broken. It was his blood that was shed for us that we might have everlasting life and that we might have an abundant life here on this earth. So are you, be, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you spiritual or carnal? I, I think a lot of good Christians who, who've walked in the Spirit and then for just a momentary diversion get off and they're walking in the flesh, I, I think a lot of times uh, that results in, in catastrophe. And it's a serious thing to get off track with the Holy Spirit even for a moment. Check yourself. Do you reflect the fruit of the Spirit? Are the right kind of things present in your life? Do people recognize that? Watch out for planks in our own eyes. Because we can see the speck in other people's eyes, but not see the two-by-four in our eyes, huh? It's so easy for us to find fault with others when we actually are guilty of the same types of things. Evaluate, then, the erring brother or sister from a biblical perspective, not a legalistic one. Judgments to begin at the house of God. Let's discern. Let's figure it out. Let's do things God's way, biblical procedures, warn them, attempt to restore them, take others with us. If necessary, break fellowship with that. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians, that's what Paul's writing. There was this man who was in deep sin, immorality, and, and they, pl- they pled with him, and they tried to get him, and, he, and he, he wouldn't, so they had to break fellowship with him. And then in 2 Corinthians, then Paul says uh, to go ahead and restore fellowship with him now. He's, he's repented. He's come back to me. He's, he's, he's okay now. 
That's what bearing one another's burdens means in Galatians chapter 6. It's a hard lesson. It's not an easy thing. I just want to close with this. Let us also bear with one another. And that's a whole different thing. That means being tolerant, forgiving, patient, loving each other. Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. In other words, to hold up or keep from falling. You see, Galatians 1, bear one another's burdens, is after someone has fallen. Ephesians 4 is trying to encourage someone before they take that misstep, before they make a bad decision. It's to hold them up. It's to keep them from falling. It's a whole different thing. Colossians 3.13 says, forbearing one another. Again, to hold up or keep from falling and forgiving one another. If anyone has a quarrel or complaint against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Bearing one another's burdens. Two different, two different meanings. Not what I thought in Galatians chapter 1 it meant, but certainly what I thought in Galatians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3. So both of the responsibilities are ours. Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we walking humbly? Do we, would we, in the spirit of humility, talk to an erring brother or sister and try to keep them from falling? It's our responsibility. Would you bow your heads, please? Probably totally different than what you, it's totally different than what I thought it was going to be. But it begins, first of all, with checking your own heart, checking your own mind, your own life, checking for the fruit of the Spirit in your own walk. Is it there? Is it obvious? Or is it all too lacking? Who controls us? Do we control ourselves or does the Holy Spirit control us? Which is it? Examine your heart. Before partaking of the Lord's table, examine your heart. Is there anything there that needs to be confessed? Confess it to Him right now. Our Father, difficult passage, I think. Hard to do. I've had to do it. More times than I would like, I've had to do that, but it's not easy. God, I pray that you'd help us to walk in humility, walk in your spirit, and be willing to put forth the effort to keep our brothers and sisters from falling, and if they have fallen, to try to bring them back into the fold. So God, work in our lives Bring conviction right now. Lord, show us what we need to change. Show us what we need your Holy Spirit to change in our lives that we might be spiritual and humble and walking in the Spirit and grateful and thankful, not only for eternal life, but for an abundant life here on this earth. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? And I'm going to ask Daniel to be right over here and Rachel and my wife's down in the front. Ryan, would you mind going to the back, please? Ryan Bailey in the back. So, guys, Ryan's going to be in the back. 
Daniel's right here. Rachel's right over here, ladies. My wife's right over here. You know what? If there's something you need to take care of, I want you to partake of the Lord's table. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if there's anything in your life that needs to be made right, make it right right now so that we can commune together. The unity, the thankfulness that we have to be able to meet at this table is an incredible thing. So do what needs to be done as we sing a verse of the invitation. Not going to sing a long time. So if you need someone to pray with, they're available right now. seated please as we're seated as those who are going to help with communion come to the front and prepare we're going to ask that everyone wait until everyone is served and then we will partake of the communion elements together we'll begin by distributing the unleavened bread which speaks of the broken body of our Savior Jesus Christ Tempted and tried. 